This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Welcome. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing, Maxwell? I'm fine. Who do we have on the pod today? Well, actually, we have uh, Travis Tubbs, or Major Travis Tubbs, who's a major in the United States Space Force. He's also a uh, studying at your Oregon State University and also teaches at the Air Force Academy. And he's doing something really kind of interesting. It's a little bit off-piece for us, but I thought it was, it was very fascinating uh, for us to talk about. And essentially, he is uh, helping to analyze plants using 3D scanning. And, uh, and that is using that to increase crop yields. So I thought that was a very exciting thing. So, so that's why we, uh, yeah, welcome uh, so much. Uh, welcome uh, to the, the 3D pod, uh, Travis. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. I, I can say, can I say Travis? Do you have, or do I say Major sure Tubbs? Yep. Major Travis. Oh, okay. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> just asking, just asking. So first off, I mean, I just thought when we, when we were thinking about this first, uh, so first of all, what is the U.S. Space Force doing and uh, doing with plants? Why is that so so important for you guys? So that's a, that's an interesting question. So I have to be completely honest. When I started this, there was no such thing as a space force. So okay, okay. right, <laughs> that's, that's part of the process. Is, is space force is actually newer than my project, and so that's one of the interesting <laughs> things. So yeah. what I have been so I am a space officer in the Air Force before the Space Force mm -hmm. was, was mm -hmm. created. Mm -hmm. And part of my background is I've got a lot of, uh, I've got a master's degree in satellite operations and another one in aeronautical science and space. And I went to the Air Force Academy and said, hey, I've got these, the skill set. I'd like to come and teach at the Air Force Academy. And they looked at me and said, oh, we've got plenty of those guys. We don't need any of that. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I got to go find another place. So I have an undergrad in biology. So I called up the biology department and they said, I got an undergrad in biology. Are you interested in that? And they said, oh yeah, come on in. So with that, very unrelated to the space. So I said, I don't even remember. I've done, I haven't done biology for 15 years. So I went and interviewed with the, the colonel and I told him kind of my background and he said, I need a plant guy. Can you go learn about plants? And so I'm, I was sent to Oregon State to go learn about plants as a space guy. And so with that, though, I brought a lot of the space experience that I had to the university, to Oregon State University. And I found a great professor who was willing to, to listen to, to my story. And from there, we kind of created something that, that is unique in the, the plant community right there, because I've got a lot of the remote sensing background. And from the remote sensing background, we were able to use some of that technology and some of the skills that, that come with the space side in the plant world and the plant community. And from there, there's, there's definitely interest in space and in uh, plants, as you can imagine. I mean, we've got to continue out in space. And if we continue to explore, this is going to be an important piece of it. So there's never, it's never wrong to know more about space and more about how we can grow and, and how life functions out in space. It just, that wasn't their intention when they sent me to Oregon State. It just happened to be a very good, unique skill set that came together and the Space Force was created after that. And so I don't know that they're ready to use my skills yet, but hopefully someday what I'm doing will help in the future. 
Are you envisioning this work to be being used in like microgravity um, growing plants or are you more focused on like extra, like growing it on other planets or on the moon per se, or is it just the general study of can we grow plants in space? Whatever that means. So both actually. So it's an incremental process, right? So you're going to have to learn how to grow them in, in space and in other micro microgravity environments and eventually on other planets. So part of learning how the plants uh, produce and what they can do, that's an incremental step. Right now, of course, as you can imagine, they've done some studies out in, in space studying how plants grow at the International Space Station, but there's not a lot of research on that because there's just so many other things that, that are also being studied. So if I can kind of focus this area right here at the Air Force Academy, my goal here is to eventually do like an astrobiology class or astrobotany class and have the cadets start exploring, hey, what would be the best um, crop, if you were, to, to pick on a planet? And what would be the most sustainable? I mean, everybody already defaults to potatoes because of the movies. But, right. uh, <laughs> but is that the best crop? Maybe, maybe potatoes isn't the right one. Maybe there's something better. Maybe it would be easier to do, as you might have seen Mars, they already are suspecting that maybe there's other fungus is already growing there. So maybe a fungus might be something that's better. And there might be a way we can grow other crops or other, other different materials that might be more successful or more useful um, in this initial process of trying to go to a different planet. And if we look, if we talk about that in the context of like a different planet and kind of more of a terraforming kind of thing, what would be kind of some useful plants that, would, that could grow there? Well, it kind of depends on how how you want to terraform the planet. There's lots of different um, projections, as you can imagine. We've never done this, so nobody's mm -hmm. ever actually terraformed anything um, at that scale. So naturally, plants will start to move in in a natural process, right? And so some of the, the smaller, more extremophile plants, the ones who can survive in a more harsh uh, environment, they'll be the first ones that'll get out there and they'll start breaking in into that new um, environment. And as they start to get settled, other plants will start to follow. And so if we're trying to change a planet, you would have to have something that would produce more oxygen so that we could um, survive. Now, Mars might not be the right place because I don't know that the, the, the atmosphere would be able to sustain it. I don't know if there's enough gravity to be able to keep that kind of atmosphere. So it's much more difficult than, than just, oh, let's plant some plants and it'll be all better. But we might be able to do... Uh, something more like that, the biosphere, where mm -hmm. we can maybe have an enclosed environment and at least we can, right. can stay within that little environment and produce an ecosystem that can sustain itself. Because hmm. I, I think uh, I, I saw a documentary actually on about the biosphere, which I thought was very fa fascinating. And it seemed actually that it, it was actually, it was something that looked like a big challenge. This was done in the 90s where they're trying to make biosphere too and stuff. And it seemed actually the, the actual realities of this were actually made it much, much more complicated than doing it, uh, uh, yeah, as it, it might seem to a lot of people. It, it's always going to be difficult because it's trying to get something. We're, we're already struggling just on our planet to keep a balanced right. system. So if we're, we live here and we're struggling with it, it's going to be really hard to go somewhere else and create one. I'm, I'm curious, do you also envision, um, I know there's been a lot of talk recently about like using mushrooms, for example, to grow structures uh is that also something that you're exploring or looking at at least where 
using plants or natural materials like that to create the bases, so to speak, uh, on a planet level like Mars, where there is at least some level of an atmosphere. <laughs> so I haven't looked into that yet, but what here's what I envision here at the Air Force Academy. So just to, to dial it back down, I'm definitely not planning on terraforming anything anytime soon. <laughs> Fair enough. The, the level I'm at, I would like to, to get the cadets, the, the ones that I work with, the students. Part of this goal and, and part of what I do is, is help future leaders to experience and, and understand where, where science can help and what they can use. So I'd like to give this opportunity to them and say, okay, you guys go out and do the research and you come to me and tell me which plant you would choose, go out and pick a plant and why, and explore why that would be one that you would choose and give them that opportunity to research and find out. And so I think you're right. I think that definitely looking at some of the fungus and some of the different, um, there's, there's so many different varieties of things that, that are out there, have them explore and say, tell me why this would be a good one and why can we use this? Maybe we don't use it as a food source, but maybe we might be able to use it structurally. There might be other, benefits of growing plants that are um, beyond just the food resource alone. I mean, if we can get something that's structural as well as food resource, then more power to us. Yeah. <laughs> on, a, on a more immediate scale, I mean, there's also talk of using, there's certain plants that are being used in, in systems to farm, like essentially biofuels and biojet fuel and stuff like that. Do you think that kind of thing is also an option for the, for, for the military? Well, I think the military will take any advantage it can. So if we can find a viable way of doing it, then uh, for sure they'll take advantage of it. And, and there's research ongoing right now at the Academy for some of these biofuels, because if, if anything, if we can find a way to make it more sustainable, make it more um, functional, and in the end, more useful for, for the economy and for the military, then of course we're going to try and take advantage of that. Yeah. Are you, are you scanning plants at this time? What, what does that entail and what benefit are you receiving from that? So now that I've moved to Colorado, I'm not scanning plants at the moment because uh, <laughs> that no all in Oregon. So <laughs> Oregon was where I did my research and I had my own um, school owned plot of land and we grew ryegrass. Ryegrass just happens to be the big staple crop there in Oregon where I was studying. And so it made more sense to study a crop that was economically of value where we were living. So the, the cool part about this research is it doesn't matter if it's ryegrass or potatoes or uh, trees, it doesn't really matter because the, the technology itself is the piece that's important, is using this, it's called topographic analysis, right? You're looking at the topography of, of something and nobody's ever explored just being able to see the, the external um, morphology of the plant and being able to rapidly use that to, to analyze some of the features, if that makes sense. So really what it is, is plant breeders are always trying to make the better plant, right? They're always trying to make a better crop. The problem is it's just so labor intensive because you have to go in and look at all these plants and usually they have to write down, okay, I measured it with a ruler. I measured it this tall. I counted how many of these. Ah, they have to it. measure all these parts and pieces. And it's so labor intensive that they usually just go out there and they um, test eyeball, maybe it. Five or, yeah, <laughs> eyeball it or test five or six samples and say, I think that's about what we're getting here. Where this technology is different, where I can, I can go out there and it's like, um, it's not quite like taking a picture with a camera. It's not like that. It's, 
Um, I'm trying to think of what you would compare it to. I guess it'd be kind of like if you were uh, scanning something at a grocery store with one of those little handheld um, scanners. So think of it more like that. And you just go all around the, the plant of interest or whatever that feature is of interest. And you're just basically trying to get a picture of everything. And the cool part about it is with this unique software from Artec Studio, it's called Artec Studio, Artec developed it. It takes all those pictures that, it, that uh, you just scanned, which is literally thousands and thousands of pictures. And it's, it compiles them all back together into a 3D image. And it's basically, it knows what its position is. And so it can actually pull all those pictures right back together. So now I can look at that, that same, for, for mine, I was looking at the, the stalk or the spike of, a, of ryegrass. I can go back and in 10 years from now and still look at it and say, that's exactly what it looked like. And I can look at it from all different angles. I can count the, the different spikelets. I can count the different pieces on there. And say, I can tell you all the features still 10 years later. And uh, if I need something new, I can actually start looking at that again and analyzing it differently, something I didn't think about. Interesting. Have you, um, I'm curious if you've explored at all with like the farm bots, those automated uh, farming systems where you could so, potentially combine those two things together. That's exactly what I think is going to happen here. That's what <laughs> I think is, is the right way to go. So I've explored mm -hmm. lots of different farm bots actually. Um, there's still, of course, there's, there's just like any technology, right? There's still lots of work that needs to be done and yeah. the different ways that the farm bots um, are, they can be developed right now. And I, I saw a lot of really good potential ones and there's some pretty impressive ones. Some, some in Australia, some of the ones that are coming out that I think that's going to be the wave of the future. And so what I'm hoping is with my research here using this 3D scanner, that that's something that can help add to that technology add to that capability they already have their own kind of version of this the, the one of the unique things about what i've got is this is a commercial off-the-shelf uh product that you can just go into the store right now and buy and it's a 3d scanner and i think that if i can prove that this technology works there might be a relationship that might be able to be built between some of these future agricultural te technology companies and the Artec studio or Artec um, company itself, maybe a, a niche market that they can focus on and say, hey, here's ways that we can help because of the technologies that we've already developed. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. I mean, I think ultimately you'd want to scan every single plant, right? You'd, you'd like to take a field and scan every plant individually in order to find that one hero plant that has like 50% more yield or whatever. Exactly. And that's really what it is. And we don't know what that is. So we, at least for me, I had to scan literally almost every single plant. And then after we harvest, we find out which one is the best one. Right. So it works out great because I've got all the information and then I can say, okay, this is the one that turned out the best. Now let's go back and look. Instead of me looking at my numbers that I wrote down on paper and said, oh, well, it's this tall. I can go back and actually look at the plant and say, okay, what features were, was it that made this one so much better? Why was this one more productive? What made this yield greater? And it might be something we didn't realize. It might be something that we hadn't taken into account, but now I can go back and look at the plant itself as a 3D model and say, okay, maybe there's a feature that I hadn't taken into account. Maybe the angle of growth was, was unique. So it was just kind of a, a different approach. And that's one of the advantages of being able to 
to take real images, I guess, a real model and look at it with a different set of eyes once you have better information. Yeah, or it could be like, it could be this plant did better, but actually it's because of the position or something like that, or exactly. where it was uh, on the right. land or whatever. Or just the neighboring plants around it. Maybe they had some sort of influence. So there's just mm -hmm. so many unique um, characteristics that come with it. Mm -hmm. uh, another advantage is this is a non-destructive method, right? A lot of times mm -hmm. they'd say, well, we got to go and analyze some of these details. So they have to cut parts and pieces of the plant and go take them into a lab and do research where this is something we can do out in the field and it's non-destructive. So that spike that I was scanning, I can come back tomorrow and scan it again, come back the next day and scan it again. And I can see the change over time as it's growing rather than, well, if I cut one off, it doesn't, it's hard to check the next day because it's already gone. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, especially if we expect that there's some genetic outliers out there that just like, you know, all of a sudden produce 800% more or something like that, you know, that we did, we find that one single kind of diamond in the rough, if you will. And that's exactly how plant breeding works is finding those unique traits. And this is what this whole research is about is, is this a faster way to go through that process? Is this a faster way to say, Hey, look, we found ones with unique traits that stand out that make this special because at least the crop that I was studying for sure is very genetically diverse. Every single plant is genetically diverse from, from the next one. There, there are no, um, it can't cross, it doesn't self-pollinate. So it, every single plant, every single seed is uniquely genetically, genetically unique. And so you could take a bunch of seeds from one plant and every single one of those seeds is going to be genetically different. And so yes, it's, there's a lot of uh, possibilities that are out there to find that diamond in the rough, but we won't know it until we can actually analyze this, this, these plants effectively. What would you need then? I mean, would it be like some kind of like pick and play system with like a drone or something? Or what would like your dream solution be? So I think that you already hit on a little bit that if we can get, if we can get this technology fast enough with a drone, it might be a little, the drone might be a little too far away to get that, that kind of detail that we need. But some of these farm bots that are out there, if we can connect these two technologies together, let it go through and do a lot of the analysis itself, then we just come back and we can say, okay, now we harvested and then we can go back and see which ones were the most successful and what traits stood out and start selectively breeding for those traits. And then if we look at like a higher level, then of course your work in satellites would also be quite interesting because you could then do it at a macro level as well, right? Right. If we can kind of get to that point, it's always going to be a little bit more as the farther you go from anything, the, the less detail okay. you're able to have. But as technology has improved, there's always unique and amazing things. I mean, look at, look at what they can do with, with Google Planet and some of the, the amazing things that they can do just from satellite images. And they can get some of that 3D um, imagery of, of buildings. Now, buildings are a lot bigger than, than yeah. Google Planet, but it may be something that's in the future. And these are technologies that are advancing. So if we can kind of get an index of how to do this, then we can start looking at, okay, well, can we do it a little bit farther? And we go a little bit, a little bit more, uh, give a little bit more distance there and get more data at one time. So these are all uh, cutting, cutting edge kind of technologies that we hope to combine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but, so this is a really funny thing, actually, because like famously an army marches on its stomach, right? And 
but why don't armies then farm? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great, great question. And part of the reason is because it does take such a long time, right? You've got to, armies don't, they don't bed down and say, okay, we're just going to wait a year until we get enough food because it's just not very productive. So you have to rely on those who are back home who have kind of an established uh, agricultural system that they can supply those foods to the army because it's just such a long process. That's part of the agricultural um, process is you've got to grow these things. And so if we can make it successful in this production, then we can depend on that. And this technology doesn't just, I mean, the military is very interested, of course, in in, uh, making sure that we have everything that we need to supply. But food is is more important than just a a military feeding our own military, if we can go into other countries and help them improve their agricultural process, then that might be a way we can avoid future conflict in general. If we don't have to go in and, and of course, as people become desperate, that's the, those are the type of people that end up causing conflict and war. If we can reduce that, that need, if we can help them find the, the resources that they need or help them grow their own resources, we in the military have just succeeded as well. We've helped avoid a conflict we didn't have to fight. Have you guys looked at all into like cargo container farming where you're combining a farm bot plus looking at plants and all that? Or I don't know if that's outside of your scope. Yeah, we haven't got it that far yet. We're still working <laughs> on, on uh, the basics. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think that there's definitely some um, but it's a step that you'd have to take at some point, right? Because exactly. in order to get into the space and doing it, you have to first do it on the ground in a, in a enclosed container kind of. Exactly. And so what we're probably going to look at is something that's called CubeSats. I don't know if you've ever heard of the CubeSats. Yep. So with the CubeSats, they're just much, much smaller. So I envision um, looking at some of these different plants, letting the cadets decide, and then we might be able to get, we would have to do it on the ground, of course, and start doing it under different um, growing conditions and environmental conditions. But after that, if we can get some seeds to germinate and maybe launch them onto a CubeSat with cameras and just say, okay, and with this 3D scanner and the Artex scanner, we can actually get the 3D image as the plant starts to grow. And we can record that entire process out in space using a CubeSat. So that's my vision. If we can get to, get to that stage, that's, that's a big step just there is getting something to actually grow in space. And then you can get it to grow its own fuel or something. Right. There you go. Or, I mean, <laughs> there's a way we can tap into it. And if not its own fuel, at least convert some of the chemicals. Because mm-hmm. that's what plants do is they're using photosynthesis. So if we can use that photosynthesis process and use some of the, the, the gases that it reproduces, maybe we can use that as a, as a future resource. Yeah. Uh, also, there's these plants, or the well, the plants and animals that live on the side of undersea vents and stuff. These kind of the guys are like they're often not studied and just like seen as like a curiosity. But they're like you were talking about things that survive in the extremes. They are the closest thing on the earth that we have to surviving like you know they're non-light, non-oxygen type environments. They're not the typical method that that most life on the planet uses. So looking at some of those extremophiles is definitely an important piece. And there there are plants that survive in these extreme conditions. Oh, tard- tardigrades are actually also one of, I think, the more interesting ones since they can actually survive in space. So those are, those are also known as water bears. And yeah. yes, those are the ones that uh, 
there there's lots and lots of research on them because they're so survivable because they can they can basically go into suspended animation they can release all the the moisture in their body and desiccate completely and then they can survive in such extreme conditions so i was just reading about how they were actually studying them they built a a little gun that they would actually shoot them out of to see how <laughs> how much impact they could survive because if they were on a satellite that crashed into a planet could they right. survive and so they have actually built these a little cannon that shoots little targets out of it to see how much impact they can survive that's uh <laughs> like a 2.0 yeah <laughs> actually touching on that for a moment what are your what are your thoughts and feelings on actually like should we be first preserving uh a, like a martian environment so to speak for study before we start planting crops or i mean yeah what are, what are your thoughts on that so i guess your question is are we already um disrupting the environment we're trying to study is that basically what you're asking on some level there's that and then eventually like if we do set up like a, a, a like a base on mars um should we be doing our utmost to not influence that environment to first see what's there before we start trying to like take it over on some level i think no matter what we have to have some sort of footprint wherever we go we have to leave a footprint because we've got to be able to come back and study that area otherwise yes it's preserved but it doesn't help us so right we need to we need to at least establish our own little place where we can we can come back and i think at this moment i don't think that there's too much risk of of having an <laughs> environmental impact on mars right now um, but even that being said they're already studying could we have already contaminated some of the research we're getting just because of the, what we brought with us could we have right. brought some of these these um, water bears with us that Hey, we found a new life form. Oh, nope, that's just what we brought with us. We we definitely have to be careful with that. Um, I don't I don't see the moon or Mars, at least those current planets, being real conducive for life surviving. So I don't think we have too much of a risk of us infecting the planet too much yet. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I just, just generally, I mean, I think I think. If we look at like the funny, there is this, this intertwinedness between the, the the military being the more sustainable the military is, the the, the better it would function, less money it will spend, uh, and the more ability it is to, to carry out its tasks. Do you, do you also see like functional plants, like plants that you could use the fibers or plants you could use a polymer from that plant? Do you see that as something that, that could be helpful as well? For sure, there's there's always anything that is a a benefit is useful, right? Anything that we can grow. So as we start looking at Hemp is a good example. Hemp is one that there's a lot of characteristics. And I know hemp usually gets a bad uh, rap, but there's a lot of um, mechanical properties that come with it that, that make it useful. I mean, look at bamboo is one that has been used many, many times in the military just to help build structures quickly. Bamboo is really fast at growing. And in some of the, the Asian cultures, that is a very functional uh, plant that can be used for lots and lots of different structural capability they still use it for 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 scaffolding in hong kong right they have bamboo yeah, they do. scaffolding it's really good for the the typhoons that's why it it, it way it bends with the wind and stuff so yeah okay okay is that it uh, I, I like i like this idea that that maybe that that this plant research would have like a lot of application areas is there a lot of skepticism in in, in like the air force and things and in the uh, u.s space force against plants is it just like 
Is it, is it seen like a little island you inhabit or is it, is it gaining more, more acceptance? I don't think that there's much resistance because I don't think very many people really see this as something that's in their, their wheelhouse, if that makes sense. They're, mm. hey, let the plant guy go look at it. They're, they're not really against it. They just don't see for what benefits there. They don't see the benefits either. They're like, if you want to go study it, go study it. If there's something we can get out of it, great. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to resist that. It's just me. It's I, the, the responsibility falls on me as, as a military officer to say, look, these are the benefits I can bring to the fight. This is what can help us a little bit. And if we can find something that can help, even if we can find a, a way to make plants more successful. Uh, again, the military, they didn't really say, we need a plant guy to, to go study this <laughs> stuff for military purposes. It was more the biology department needed a guy who could teach the students about plants. That's really what my focus, that's why I was sent there. But if I can take some of that information and use it successfully to help the military, then that's, that's just another benefit that comes with it. I was just curious if you'd looked at um, bioprinting at all about the possibility of, uh, is it ridiculous or kind of crazy to like print the plant already grown or is it just easier to grow the plant? So I would say that's not a ridiculous idea because there's so many things that we might be able to grow different. I think mm. being able to grow the plant is great. That's, that's great. And, and being able to grow the plant, that's the natural process. But maybe we want some changes. Maybe we want a little bit different. Maybe we want to grow it in such a way that it has properties that are unique. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, we've got medical printing that's coming on right now. So being able to print specific things, and I think that that's another technology that's only going to get better as we are able to put cells down where we want them to go and they're able to actually viably survive, then we might be able to make unique structures that didn't exist in, in nature. There you go, Joris, a lattice plant. Yeah, yeah a lattice grown plant that makes jet fuel. Um, no, I, no, I think it's quite interesting that, that I think a lot of people, if they would think of like something like the US Space Force, they think that everybody would be either like uh, some kind of a pilot or maybe some kind of a security person. They don't, they don't think really that there's this many roles in research and stuff like that. So how would I, you know, kind of like, if I would want to do something like you for another area, how would I, you know, end up? end up uh you know getting a job like your your job essentially that's that's a great question and let me let me caveat that even that when i joined the military i didn't know that any of this existed as well i had no idea that the military was a an unknown to me when i joined and i've been very fortunate to follow a path that that i've enjoyed very much the the military especially the air force when the air force was my 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 branch of service the air force is very and very uh, understanding of how important education is. And so that's one of the reasons why I, so I've been fortunate that I've, I'm teaching at the Air Force Academy right now. I was able to go to the Air Force Institute of Technology. So I didn't even know that the Air Force had one, but there is an Air Force Institute of Technology that focuses on a lot of the new innovations and new ways of, of, um, of how do we leverage new science to help the military in any aspect that it can be, be useful in. So there's a lot of, um, I guess, niche areas of research that the military has because they're always interested in what is the new and, and upcoming capabilities. And the Space Force is even more, I would say, willing to accept new ideas. 
because it's such a brand new service. If there's something new, let's look at it. Let's understand what, um, what we can do with this technology and how can we leverage it to make us a better and stronger force. So there's a lot more people may not think of this in their mind, but the military does a lot of research so that they can be faster, stronger, and better. Yeah, DARPA. We owe a lot to DARPA. <laughs> so. We do. We do very yeah. much so. So I just side note for you, it's kind of an interesting one. But when I worked at the Air Force Institute of Technology, I got my satellite operations degree, right? So I got a degree in, fly, in, in satellite operations, but my research was actually on micro air vehicles. So I actually, I was able to implant electrodes into the muscles of moths to see, hey, can we in the military control insect flight and insect movement? So there is so much research that is going on. Could we use that as a new micro air vehicle? Could we use that as a drone, a living organism as a drone? So those are just technologies that people don't realize that the military is still exploring as possibilities if there's an advantage. I've seen the cockroach stuff. Exactly. Because so that's slightly older. But cool. were you able to actually control a moth? So or can I, you not talk about it? <laughs> it? It is not classified. It's actually a research paper that's on the internet. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, yes, I could actually make it flap its wings. When I, when I sent in a signal, it would flap the wings in, in sequence to the signals I was sending. That's cool. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what to think of this. I'm taking a minute to process this. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yeah, well, that's that's astounding and also kind of like very scary, I think, as well. Uh, I think, can I, can I ask yeah. a general question about Space Force? Sure, like, so it's brand new or relatively new. Did essentially were personnel just taken from all the other branches that were already dealing with space related things, or did it largely come from the Air Force? So, great question. So, to begin with, it came from the Air Force, so that was the very first. Okay. So it came from the Air Force, and what they did is basically they took out an entire career field, and they basically opened up the career field because the space space operations was already in the Air Force anyway. That was one of the the duties that you could have, and I was a space officer. So they basically picked up that entire career field and said, okay, everybody who's doing this, if you want to, because it's all volunteer, if you want to come over, you you have to resign from the Air Force and join the Space Force. And so those who, who did, right now, I think the number is re- slightly lower than 5,000. They just picked up those folks and moved them over and said, now you are part of this new military branch. And then they've opened it up now. I think that there's um, a window of opportunity for any other services to, to resign from what service they're in and, and join, provided they're selected. It's a much more selective process because... The other services didn't really have as as fleshed out of a of a space um, footprint, right? Mm-hmm. Dealing with some of the satellite operations. Now, every every military branch has their unique folks who are dealing with some of the satellite operations. Navy, Army, all of them are using satellites in in whatever respect they can. So there are very good experts in each of the branches. So we're going to selectively pick those who who choose to come over to the space force as well. But everyone that was working on like the X-37, for example, I, I imagine that they all just picked up and move over to the Space Force because they're already dealing in like space vehicles and, and all that kind of. <laughs> so they, they definitely had the opportunity. The, 
nobody in the military is going to force you. And so I know right, I right, right. who said, you know what, I'm so close to retirement, I don't want to start over. I'm just going to continue on in the, in the Air Force. And there's others who said, yeah, let's start this new, this new experience. Let's take this opportunity to, to see what this new branch of service has to offer. And a lot of those who have this space operations background anyway, it was a very easy decision for them to slide over. And if and if uh, what if I'm one of those guys and I'm, I'm watching and listening to this, I mean, what happens to my pension and my pay grade and all that kind of stuff? Is it is it? Uh, yep. Transfer straight over. So it just comes with. So literally, I was looking at it last night. Actually, I retired <laughs> from the Air Force. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess I resigned my commission from the Air Force. I resigned mm -hmm. from my commission on day, actually the 10th of October, and the next day, the 11th of October, I joined the Space Force and everything flowed with it all now mm -hmm. it would be different if i was coming from the navy for example because their their ranking structures are at least their name conventions are different and so you we're the space force is using the the air force officer conventions mm -hmm. if i'm an officer in the navy i would have a different title and what's it like being like a part of like such a new branch of the military because these branches of the military are like yeah, it's all tradition and, and, and it's built up over sometimes like a hundred years or something like that. Do you, do you, do you, you, how do you make a new branch of military? That's kind of, kind of new. I think it is, it's pretty new. It hasn't happened since the air force broke off of the army. And that's mm -hmm. when the last, I guess, branch of service was created. And this is a new experience in, in this generation. Nobody's ever seen this before. So it's kind of a fun, um, a fun process. So we don't have that tradition. We don't have some of those unique um, long-term experiences that, that some of the branches have. So we get to kind of make it up as well. Uh, we get to use some of the, the new technologies, the new ways of thinking, some of the new innovative ideas to create our own, I guess, ethos, our own way of, of operating. And I, I've been fortunate to, to actually work with General Raymond. I actually worked with him in some of the capacity and he is he is the head of space force right now so i got to know him personally and he's an amazing general and somebody that i would definitely follow as a as a great leader somebody who has a vision of what the space force can do so i think we're in good hands right now as somebody who sees why this is such an important branch of service right now especially as as the world is changing so rapidly the branch, the, the Space Force has so many um, responsibilities that, that need to be fleshed out and made stronger. And so he has the vision and the ability to make this a great force. And so I'm very, I'm very fortunate to, to have worked for him. I mean, you guys are at the, the beginning of quite the revolution, given that commercialized space is really becoming a much more attainable thing uh, than it was 20 years ago with SpaceX, Blue Origin, and all these other guys. So it is. It makes sense on a timing scale that that space is becoming more of this environment to to explore. Well, that's one of the reasons why we had to do what we did because the commercial industries are moving so rapidly. There had to be some sort of presence in the military just to make sure that all the all the rights and all the I guess agreements are enforced. Right. If that makes sense, just like a Navy's job is to make sure that the the um, commercial shipping industry is following international water rules and, and doing what they're supposed to do. They're there to make sure that people can be successful in 
in their, I guess, commercial industry endeavors. The Space mm -hmm. Force is kind of that same thing. Our job is to make sure that we have open space for everyone. Everyone has that equal opportunity to reach out and, and have the ability to do whatever it is that they in their commercial vision want to do, if that's viable. And, and just generally, I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, going forward, I mean, you're, you're, right now you're the only, I think you're the only branch of the United States military that's never gone to war. Uh, <laughs> do, do, do you, um, so I think, I think pretty much the, probably the, the Coast Guard was involved in something at one point, right? Yeah, the Second World War, yeah, obviously. Does that mean, you know, is it, is it kind of like a, you know, do you think that like a kind of very defensive, very peace-like posture is, a, is the right way to go here? Or? So I think any, anyone in the military would probably say that peace is always the first option. If we, can, if we can solve the problem without going to war, that's always a better option. But we also have to be prepared for when that is not an option. And that's really what the Space Force is designed to do is we have to prepare ourselves to be able to protect our own assets. And if needed, we need to be able to, um, I guess, take out whatever, whatever threat is, is out there that would be harming not only our, our interests in the government or in the United States interests, but also to, to protect just the, the way of life of the American people. We have to be able to prove, we have to be prepared. And that's part of what the Space Force is. I mean, space is a new um, domain that we make, we have to make sure that we're the experts in that domain. We have to, as to be successful, you have to be the best. And to be the best in a new domain, we have to understand what are those, what are those requirements? What are some of our um, struggles that we're going to have in that environment and how can we overcome some of those struggles and if the world is great and, er and everybody's at peace then we have nothing to worry about but when there's conflict we have to be prepared to handle that conflict as efficiently and effectively as possible well thank you so much major tubbs uh, travis and thank you so much for giving your time to today and, and telling us all about your uh, exciting work on plants in space perfect hey i appreciate it thank you for the opportunity to be here and uh, thank you, Max, for being here, as always. Always, Joris. Happy to be here. And thank you for listening. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of The 3D Pod. Thank you. You've been listening to The 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com.